The epistle reading for today is taken from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the, men of law, the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshiped so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? And now you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel, that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope. Encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. And I want to thank you again for setting aside this time, making it a priority in your day. Not only what that means for us as a body of believers whenever we get together, but also what it means for each of us as we continue to walk in our relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to start off by asking how many of you have ever been whitewater rafting, canoeing, kayaking? Raise your hand, would you? Look at that. A good number of us here have, have done this. Uh, if you would, uh, what river did you do it on? Y yell it out. New River? Raleigh? Gully. Yeah, that seems to be a popular one. Any others? You heard it, right? And I know Dr. Bob has... Uh, wait, you're not Dr. Bob. <laughs> 
I know Dr. Bob has, has done a river in Aspen, Colorado. Uh, and uh, for me personally, rafting was a part of my life when I was in high school. Uh, during the summers in, in Pittsburgh, uh, Sunday afternoons, right after church, no kidding, we'd bring a change of clothes with us to church. And as soon as church was done, we'd be in the restroom changing and then on our way to southwestern Pennsylvania to a place called Ohio Pile, the Yuccagany River. If you're familiar with Frank Lloyd Wright's Falling Water, it's in the vicinity of, of that. And uh, even if you have never been whitewater rafting, though, uh, my guess is you can answer a couple of these questions. Of all the equipment that you take with you rafting, what is your most important piece of equipment? Listen to you, in unison, life preserver. And is it enough just to have it aboard the boat? What do you need to be doing? Why? Because <laughs> I know it's obvious, isn't it? Because there's a high probability you're going to need it. And speaking from experience, <laughs> when you do fall into the water and you have to ride through a set of rapids without your boat, you know what you do with your life preserver then? You hold on to it. Because in that moment, your life depends upon it. I want you to keep that image in mind as we consider this text before us from Paul's letter to the Thessalonians because it serves to illustrate the truth that Almighty God is trying to convey to us today, especially in these words of the Apostle Paul where he writes, stand firm and hold to the teachings we passed on to you. You see, in his second letter to the Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul is writing to encourage Christians who were undergoing significant persecution. And to help them to understand a little bit about what they were going through, the Apostle Paul goes into talking about things that were going to happen during the end times. And he, he leads into it by saying, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him. And Paul then goes on to write how prior to Christ's return, spiritual hostility this side of heaven would grow increasingly worse. Paul talks about not only the forces of evil that would rise up against those who believe in Jesus, but also the evil that would come as a result of people's refusal to love the truth and so be saved. In other words, what Paul is telling the Thessalonians is, I know you think you're in rough water now, but the waters ahead are going to get even rougher. And what the Apostle Paul forewarned in his day, I think we're seeing evidence of even in our own day. In the United States, Christianity is on the decline. And it's no longer a gradual decline. In a recent Pew Research survey that just came out here in the last month, a survey of taking in the last decade in which we've lived, it shows that the number of adults who identify as Christian has declined 12%. And the number of those who identify as either atheist, agnostic, or nothing at all has increased 9%. Church attendance 
is not only declining, but those who attend only a few times a year or less is increasing. What is more, and it doesn't take a survey for us to be aware of another growing reality of which the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy when he said, for the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers who will say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Even during our Lord's own earthly ministry, many of his followers found his teachings hard to accept. John tells us that there came a point when many of those who followed Jesus turned back and no longer followed him. And here's where you and I need to connect a few dots. Because of the evil in this world and people's refusal to, to love the truth and so be saved, because there will be those who will turn aside their ears from the truth and turn toward myths. And because there are those who will turn their back and no longer follow Jesus, what should you and I as believers expect to experience in the midst of, of increasingly hostile spiritual world? Simply stated, my friends, the waters ahead of us will grow increasingly rough. Jesus himself forewarned us of this when he said, for then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, never to be equaled again. And hearing that <laughs> could cause us to kind of go, <laughs> so what are we to do? I don't, I don't know that I like the idea of stepping into something that's going to get increasingly worse. Now this is where, first of all, our Lord Jesus offers us some very encouraging and strengthening words when he says, just before he went to the cross of Calvary, Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Going back to that occasion when many of those who followed Jesus turned back and no longer followed him, Jesus immediately turned to his own 12 disciples and asked them, you don't want to leave me too, do you? And I just so appreciate the example of Peter's response and what that means for you and me when Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. In other words, Peter says to Jesus, Lord, you're the one who has come to give us life and to save us. Why would we ever let go of you? And my friends, this is the very point that the Apostle Paul is trying to convey to us when he says, stand firm and hold to the teachings that we passed on to you. And just as he challenged the Thessalonians to remain committed to the Lord Jesus and his teachings, regardless of the hostility that we face, 
So also does Paul, through these same words, exhort you and me to be committed to. Yes, the waters ahead will get rough, but you and I know the one whom God himself sent to save us from our sins. You and I know the one, Jesus, and Jesus alone, who not only saves us from our sins, but then holds out to us the promise of everlasting life. In Jesus and Jesus alone do we have life and salvation. And for this we give thanks to Almighty God. And so in order for you and I to be committed to, I would like to suggest there are three things that you and I working in concert with God's Holy Spirit can do so that we can continue to be committed to Him. First of all, in order to be committed to, we simply need to be ready. Just like the, the, front, uh, the offensive front line of a football team, we need to be ready for, for, for an all-out blitz. I mean, given this growing spiritually hostile world in which we are living, there are going to be rough waters ahead of us, and we should not let it cast us, cause us to be caught off guard. We need to anticipate that and to be ready for that. The Apostle Peter says, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Elsewhere, the Apostle Paul simply says, be on your guard. It's not a matter of if, but when. And so we need to be ready for whatever may come our way. Secondly, in order to be committed to, we need to stand firm. Like Pastor Luther's, where'd you go, Pastor Luther? <laughs> Just like Pastor Luther's story to the kids, um, I have my own story to tell. Uh, my son Jonathan, was, when he was in grade school, wanted to play uh, organized football with Carmel Dad's Club. And um, I have to say that, you know, I you know, showed up for that very first game, you know, just ready, you know, to be proud dad, you know. And, and my son, because he was a little bit taller than the rest of the boys, they had him on the front line. It was one of the toughest days I had as a dad. Because poor John, whenever he would come up off the line uh, to block, you know, whether offensively or defensively, he was getting bowled over. Because as he came up off the line, he had both of his feet together, and he was just standing up. And the guy on the other side, for the most part, was just pushing on him, and poor John was just getting knocked over every time. Most agonizing day of my life as a dad. And, and so when we got home that day, I said, John, come on, let's go into the backyard. Let me show you a few things. So I showed John how to take his strong leg and, and, and to put it behind him. And then to crouch down, and when it came to, you know, when they hiked the ball, to push off of that back leg and to rise up with his arms and with his shoulders. And so we went back and forth. I did it a little bit to him. He did it a little bit me, you know, slowly back and forth to where I got a sense that, all right, he was understanding what I was teaching. So then I said, come on, John, show me what you got. <laughs> now, understand he was a little guy at that time. Let me tell you, he came up with such force, his shoulder pads caught me under my rib cage. He lifted me off my feet. I went back flat on my back, knocked the wind out of me, and I'm lying there on the lawn gasping for breath, looking up wondering, what just happened here? 
And then all of a sudden, John just kind of timidly comes over to me, looks down at me, gets a little closer, and he says, you mean like that, Dad? <laughs> yeah, John, I, th I think we can go in now. We're, we're done here. Took me the rest of the day on the couch to recover from that. Well, if that was the Apostle Paul lying on the ground, and John had asked that of him, the Apostle Paul would have said, yes, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Stand firm. Elsewhere, Paul elaborates, stand firm in the faith. Be people of courage. Be strong. Let nothing move you. Interestingly, the Greek word here for stand firm is stako. What English word do you hear in that Greek word? Steak. Now, I, I know it's getting close to lunchtime. I don't want you to be thinking of steak on a grill. I want you to think of a steak in the ground, the kind of steak that's driven way down, the kind of steak that when you push on it, it doesn't move. And my friends, that's what God has given to us in and through our relationship with Jesus Christ. He's given us the kind of stake in the ground that no matter what the forces of evil or hostility that comes against us, we are in a position to stand firm. When Peter says, be ready, your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for us to devour, Peter goes on to say, resist him. Standing firm in the faith. Or as Martin Luther, whose birthday we celebrate today, once famously said, here I stand. And if you know anything about Martin Luther, you get the sense of, come on now, I dare you to come against me and knock me over. Stand firm in the faith. Thirdly, we can be committed to by clinging to the truths of God's holy word. I want you to think of a young child that's crossing an intersection, a dangerous intersection at a crosswalk with an adult. And what does the adult say to the child every step of the way across? Hold on to my hand and don't let go. And that's what our Lord Jesus is saying to you and me. No matter what you face, no matter what's around you, hold on to my hand and never ever let go. Watch out, Jesus says, that no one deceives you. The Apostle Paul writes, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught. I especially appreciate the writer of Hebrews and how he exhorts us when he says, let us fix our eyes, fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In 2015, a man by the name of Christopher Breach acquired a very rare and possibly unique black and white photograph of hundreds 
of life jackets. And on the back of the photograph was a type notation which reads, life-preserving belts worn by the Titanic survivors. Many a passenger owes his or her life to the aid of this apparatus. My dear friends, you and I owe our daily and our eternal life in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the message that has been handed down to you and to me through the pages of God's holy word. And that is the message to which we cling because our very lives depend upon it. So by God's grace, may we always be ready for whatever hostility we may experience in our lives as Christians. And when they come, let us stand firm and let us cling firmly to him who is the way, the truth, and the life. Like the Apostle Paul, no matter how rough the waters ahead may get, may we always be committed to. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now may the peace of God which surpasses all human understanding, may it guard our hearts and our minds through our faith in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen. We gather our, together our offerings and tithes, and in doing so, we are so grateful to the Lord for the life he has given to us, but know it is through the generosity of God's people here at Cornerstone that we are able to continue to share that life-saving message, not only with our children and our families, but even with many others outside of our walls. So God bless you in your generosity today.